We've been working our way through the Gospel of John all summer long. We're up to chapter 19, and the events you saw on the screen, some of them are in chapter 18. Some of them I'll be talking about next week in chapter 20. But our focus this morning is on chapter 19. Remember, this is an eyewitness account of what happened at the cross. John, who wrote this, was actually there. So, so marvel at this. 2,000 years later, we can read the eyewitness account of the events that occurred throughout the day that Jesus died. Now, kids, you have notes in your hand and crayons, so I'm going to be telling you at what point you fill in your notes, and adults, you'll be filling in yours as well. What I'm going to do is talk about the snapshots that John included for us here in chapter 19. It reads almost like John had a Polaroid with him and was taking in little snapshots, and then as an old man, he mentioned this event that happened and this event that happened, and the Holy Spirit led him to include this and this. So let's work our way through it this morning. We'll start with before the crucifixion. It all began that morning with a whipping. It says in verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now, it was very rare, very rare in this day that somebody would be whipped for a crime and then later crucified for the crime because the judge in charge had an option. Kind of like judges today have options what they can impose as penalty. They could have chosen the whipping, the lashes, or the crucifixion. But very rarely does somebody get both. How come Jesus got both? <coughs> the answer is politics. Because it wasn't Pilate who hated Jesus. It was the religious leaders. If it was up to Pilate, he would have let him go. But there was a political movement there among the leaders in Israel that they wanted Jesus dead. And they threatened, we're going to see it in a little while, they threatened Jesus that if he let him go, uh, threatened Pilate, that if he let Jesus go, there would be consequences. Second thing that happened that morning. And this is found in verse 2. It says, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, and they went up to him again and again and said, Hail, O King of the Jews, and struck him on the face. Kids, this is the picture on the very front of your notes that you're going to color in now. And the words you're going to put in is made fun of. That's a little phrase you're going to put in. They made fun of him that day. Now, when you read this, you might think, well, that was totally unusual, but it was not, unfortunately. The Roman soldiers had a reputation for being sadistic, and they loved to do this. They were free to do this to criminals, to prisoners in the day. And this particular thing they're doing to Jesus, it was a game, and they actually gave it a name. They called it the king's game. And they would do it to people at random, anybody accused of a certain crime. They would bring out a robe, put it on him, just so they could make fun of him, belittle him. They would put a crown on his head, not often a, thorn, a thorny crown, but some kind of crown. And it was their way of making fun and laughing, and it would go on for a long time. And there are people today that are mean and sadistic, and we understand that, but it was at a peak then. And then Pilate actually tried to free 
Jesus. Let me read it to you from verse 4. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I don't find any basis for charges against him, none at all. And when he came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Now, what's this all about? Pilate is hoping that when the leaders, when the mob saw Jesus humiliated, bleeding, broken, that that would be enough for them. That here's the man. He can't hurt anybody. Now look at him. There's nothing he can do. You don't need to be afraid of him. You can't start an insurrection. Isn't that enough for you? We're told if we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that seven times Pilate said, He's innocent. Seven times. Pilate's wife has a dream about him. And seven times Pilate says, he's innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. So why didn't Pilate just let him go? The cost to him personally would have been too great. The crowd said, if you let him go, you are no friend of Caesar. You know, when you read the story of what happened that day. The temptation is to think of these people. They sure are evil. They sure are terrible to be involved in this. But when I read it, I see people that are sinful, afraid, fallen, and interested in their own self-preservation. I see me. <laughs> I see if it wasn't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God in my life, my sin would be every bit like their sin. And maybe there are lessons to learn as we read this and we see it, that, Lord, that could have been me in the crowd as well yelling. After that, Pilate brought Jesus in and talked to him again. And Jesus told Pilate that God had all power. Kids, this is your fill-in on the second page. Pilate said to Jesus, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Listen carefully. There is no power that anybody has in this world that is not on loan to them from God. That professor in college who you think doesn't like you, who you think has all power over your GPA, eh, he's got power on loan from God. And God can take it away in a moment. Your teacher, your coach, your boss has no power except that God allows it. Now, most of us have no problem believing that when the person who has temporary power over us is doing the right thing. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to believe my boss is doing the right thing, the government's doing the right thing, my professor, my teacher, they're doing the right thing. So, yeah, God is sovereign. God is in charge. But what about when they're doing the wrong thing? Did God just lose it? Was God unaware of what happened? Did, did God uh, surrender his sovereignty in the universe? He did not. We're going to get into some very mysterious elements here, but God, for his own reasons, for his own reasons, allows humans to make bad decisions. 
But God in his sovereignty takes those bad decisions. And for those who love him, he turns them for good, for his glory and ultimately for our good. He is sovereign despite what you see. At that point, Pilate ordered Jesus to be crucified. Now, John did not choose to tell us this story of Pilate washing his hands in front of the crowd. That's in another gospel. But I tell you something. No matter how he washed his hands, he couldn't rid himself of the responsibility of what he did. All of us ultimately are responsible for everything we do in this world. And then, kids, your third fill-in, it's on the next page. Jesus then carried his cross, carried his cross. Now, the picture the kids are filling in is the classic picture. It's the one of Jesus dragging this giant cross with both parts to it uh, up to the hill of Calvary, but it probably didn't happen that way. Probably the big piece that would have been put into the ground was already there waiting for him. Probably what he had to carry was that, that cross beam on his back. But that thing weighed between 100 and 150 pounds all by itself. So Jesus beaten, Jesus weakened, Jesus bloody, was not able to carry it all the way there. Somebody else had to be drafted to do it. And then Jesus was crucified. Verse 18 says, here they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Now, does that sound like an eyewitness account? That sounds like somebody was actually there, and he says, listen, I remember uh, the whole thing I saw. It was Jesus in the middle. There were two guys, one on each side of him. John saw it happen. He was there. Now, crucifixion has a long history, and to understand what was going on, we need to go back a little bit. Crucifixion was probably invented by the Phoenician people, and here was their motivation. They worshipped a God of the earth, kind of like people today who worship nature. They had a false God they worshipped, but he was the God of the earth, the God of nature. And they thought that if they killed somebody on the earth, touching the earth, then they would have offended their, their God, and their God would take retribution against them somehow, maybe with calamity, maybe with storms, maybe with drought, maybe with plague. So they ingeniously came up with a way to kill people that would not offend their God. They thought, we've got to get people off the earth so our God won't be angry at us. So they invented this thing called crucifixion. To them, it was a way of worshiping and pleasing a false god. But to the Romans, crucifixion was something else altogether. To them, it was a tool of terror. It was a tool of control. It was a way to make the populace afraid of them. Think about it. They would crucify someone on a cross, and they wouldn't do it in secret. They would put it on a road or on a place where people would walk by often. So you would have to see it. And above the head of the person being crucified, they would list what the crime was. And then the very nature of crucifixion meant it could take a day two days, three days for that person to die on that cross. Every time you walked by, you would hear them and see them in their misery. And the fear was in everybody. I'm not going to do whatever he did. Look what they do. To the Romans, it's just a tool to control people. 
To the Jews, the cross was something else. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, it says, anybody whose body is displayed on a tree is cursed by God. To the Jews, it was the most disgusting way any human could ever die. It was a curse. And the person who's dying that way, they must have been really out of favor with God. God would allow someone to die that hideous death naked on a cross, a shame before the whole world to see. To the Phoenicians, it's a way to worship a false god. To the Romans, an instrument of torture and control. To the Jews, a disgusting form of death. But to us, that cross is something else altogether. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his hands, his head, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. To us, the cross is the most beautiful thing ever, as hard as that is to imagine. To us, this instrument of torture and death is the expression of God's love to all of humanity, that he would allow his son to die there in our place. Pilate then posts a sign above the head of Jesus. Here's what it said. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Didn't say traitor. Didn't say blasphemer. It didn't say insurrectionist. It said king of the Jews. And not only that, it was written in three languages, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Pilate wanted to make sure that anybody passing by would see that and they would know who that person really was, despite him dying there, who he really was. And then artists throughout the centuries, whenever they draw a picture of the crucifixion, if they want to make it authentic, they have to include that sign because it was there that day, King of the Jews. The Jewish leaders came and said, don't write that. Take that down. Say, he claimed to be. Pilate said, nope, what I've written, I've written. And then soldiers gambled for the clothes of Jesus. Now think about this. John is writing this 40 years after the event, around 40 years after the event. He saw a whole lot happen that day. He saw his friend Jesus die. He saw all that was happening. But out of the corner of his eye, Decades before, he saw Roman soldiers gambling for the clothes of Jesus. Maybe something you and I would have forgotten as the years go by. But the Holy Spirit made sure John didn't forget it and didn't forget to tell us about it. Its significance is that it was one of the dozens of prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah, who he was and how he would die. John wanted us to know that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. And then Jesus spoke to his mother and to John from the cross. Now remember, 
Jesus is the oldest son. His father probably is dead by now. Most people believe that because we don't hear anything written of him from the time Jesus began his ministry. And that means who's in charge of mom? Who's in charge of taking care of mom? The oldest son was. It was his responsibility. Now, I want you to think about it for a moment. On the cross, Jesus is thinking about the multitudes. He's thinking about everybody in the world. He's thinking about everybody that's going to ever live through the history of the world. So God so loved the world, everybody. But on the cross, it's not just everybody, it's individuals. He cares about the guy next to him on the cross. You're going to be with me in paradise. He cares about the people who are crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And then he looks down and sees his mom and says, Mom, you stay, you stay with John from now on. He'll take care of you. John, I want you to take care of my mom. Will you do that? Jesus cares about the whole world. But you know what? He cares about you, an individual sitting in this room watching at home right now, about you. He cares that you're hurting. He cares that you're lonely. He cares that you're grieving this morning. He cares that you're afraid. He cares that you need money to get, to, to get your bills paid next month. Everything about you, he cares. And then finally, kids, the very last page. Jesus says, it is finished. Band, would you please return? Worship team, would you please return this morning? Jesus received a drink. And then he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. What do you hear when you hear the words, it is finished? Totally depends on context, doesn't it? If you're hungry, kids, and your mom's been cooking dinner and she says, it's finished, what do you hear? Joy. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm starving. You run to the table. You hear it is finished as a, a phrase of incredible joy. If you're in college and one of your roommates has been working on a project for a long time, and finally at 2 o'clock in the morning after another Starbucks and the last Red Bull, they stand to their feet and say, it is finished. You know what you feel about that, that you're so excited that your friend got it done. I think many of us have known the words, it is finished, when a relationship fell apart. And those same words said in that context brought a pain and a grief that's lasted for years. What about Jesus when he says, it is finished? The word translated in your Bible, it is finished, is taken from, it's a Greek word translated, it is finished, in, in English. The word in Greek is tetelestai, tetelestai. Here's when this word was used. Somebody would go into a marketplace to buy two lambs or a chicken or, or um, something else. And when they would go and buy something in the marketplace, they would get a bill of receipt from the person they bought it from. You needed to have a bill of receipt because if somebody caught you with the two chickens, they could say, you stole those chickens. I didn't steal those chickens. And you Put it out. I have a receipt, and it's signed. At the bottom, it says, Tetelestai. What does Tetelestai mean? It means in Greek, it is paid. It's paid. It was paid for. Now, why would Jesus, as he's dying on a cross in, in, in pain, 
say, it is paid. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. The paycheck owed for our sin is death. What you and I owed was a debt we could never pay, except with our lives. Somebody had to pay it. Jesus, who knew no sin on a cross, paid your debt and mine. And when he said, Tetelestai, it is finished, it's paid for, it was paid for once and for all. Go ahead and take that cup out. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Tetelestai, it is finished.